The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Hey, help me welcome everybody that's watching online right now, everybody that's watching on YouTube. Come on, church, let's have them. Including, including Miss Judy. Miss Judy, I see you. So glad you're with She's always, when she's out of town, she always lets us know. You can throw your phone right now. She's always talking about she gets so excited in the message, she wants to throw her phone. Throw it, girl. But we had an incredible tribe retreat this week. How many of you guys were there? If you were there, give me a something, a noise of some kind. And I know since you guys were there, you're going to be with me because you know how it was a tribe retreat. Like we talked back during the message a little bit. Like you, you can say amen. You can say, you know, help us. You can say whatever it is that you want to say within reason, I think. But uh, it's going to be a good day today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 uh, Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Today I want to talk to you about uh, something that I think we all deal with at some season of our life. In fact, I think all of us deal with this at many seasons of our life. And we're going to look at the story of David, but really what we're going to look at today is a place, a place that David found himself in. It's a place that maybe you find yourself in. It's a place that sometimes when we're in it, we don't want to be there. Sometimes when we're in it, we don't want to stay there. We want to get out of this place as quick as possible. But, but here's the thing. Uh, I've come to recognize that it's a beautiful place. And it's a place where God does some of his greatest work. And it's a place where if we'll learn to embrace it and receive all God wants to do in it, it will prepare us for what God has ahead of us and move us to the new places, the greater places that God has for us. I'm talking to you today about being faithful to the field. And what I want to talk about is the field of anonymity. Anonymity. Not see an enemy. Anonymity. And here's what anonymity is. It's the condition of being anonymous. It's the condition of, of, of being unnoticed or feeling like you're unnoticed. The condition of feeling like you're, you're not being seen, like nobody knows that you're there. And maybe you're sitting here today and you would say, that's kind of how I feel. Like I feel like I'm in a place right now where I know that there's more. I know God has more for me. And let me just confirm that for you. God has more for you. Wherever you find yourself, whether you're in a, an incredible place right now, I want you to know God has more for you. There's more. But you, you sense that. You, there, maybe there's some dreams, some purpose stuff in you that you've, you've seen. And, and maybe you're young. Maybe you're old. Maybe you find yourself in a new place where you're a little bit older and you're kind of wondering, is there still stuff for me to do? Yes, there is. We want you to know at this church, we need you. We desire you to be here and be connected in this house. We know God's got stuff for you. But we find ourselves in these seasons sometimes and, and we feel like nobody notices us, nobody sees us. And it gets us to start wondering, am I really in the will of God? Am I really where I should be? I know for me, for a lot of years of my life, I, I question this. At 17 years old, I got called into ministry at a youth camp. And uh, I knew it was God because I did not go to this camp seeking God, really. I went to this camp seeking a blonde girl. And ended up, I was in a service, and, and I knew God was talking to me. And I went forward, and I, uh, I got prayed over, and I received a calling to be a minister. And, and then a little bit later, I, I, it became a call to pastor. And then I, I found myself for the next like 15 years not stepping into that calling, <laughs> except I was. I just didn't know it. 
I wasn't a lead senior pastor at a church, and yet God was doing some stuff in a season of anonymity that was preparing me for what he had ahead of me. But, but when you're in that season, you can't help but look around sometimes. And even for me, I remember looking around, and I'd see other friends of mine that were you know, stepping into these a little bit higher profile places, doing things that seemed a little bit more significant than what I was doing. And it caused me to wonder, am I really, like, am I on the right path here? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Have I missed it somewhere? Or, you know, what, what, what is going on? And I, and I think in the culture that we live in today, it's easy to start to think that because, you know, we live in a world that is obsessed with being noticed. You ever notice that? Like, that's what social media is all about. <laughs> and I love social media. I have no problem with, with social media. It's a, you know, I think it's a tool we can use to share the gospel and stay connected, but it can also be, you know, something that, that starts to drive you in the wrong direction. And sometimes, man, I'll just be real. I see posts from people. I'm like, oh, you really want to be noticed today, don't you? <laughs> You ever seen those? Like, you're really going out of your way to be like, hey, look at this, you know? <laughs> and in a culture that's obsessed with being noticed, this idea of anonymity, of being in a place where we're not seen, it doesn't, doesn't fly very well. So when I talk about the field of anonymity, here, here's what I'm talking about. The field of anonymity is the place God puts you in to grow before he calls you to go. It's the place God puts you in to grow, to grow until he calls you to go. It's a place where God's shaping you. He's building things into you. He's putting things into you. He's pulling things out of you. He's helping you so that you can step into what it is he ultimately has for you with the tools necessary to fulfill the assignment and continue to stay in the assignment and finish. We're not just called to run a race. We're called to finish this race, right? So, so we're going to look at this today. If you have your Bible, 1 Samuel 16, we're going to look at the life of David here. Now, as I set this up for you, here's the situation, okay? David uh, is not the king. He's a shepherd at this time. There's a king. His name is Saul. And Saul was the king, but he disobeys God. And after he disobeys God, uh, the, the presence of God, the anointing of God for him leaves. And actually, the Bible talks about this spirit comes against him and begins to torment him. And so he's lost his anointing for what he's doing. And so God calls this prophet named Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and to uh, anoint one of his sons to be the new king. So Jesse shows up at this house, or I'm sorry, Samuel shows up at this house. Jesse brings out his sons and he starts bringing all his boys out. The first son, the oldest, the next one. And Sam, uh, uh, Samuel, who is the prophet, is looking at these sons and Anointed with God's presence, knowing what to do, he looks at him, he says, no, it's not that one. It's not that one. It's not this one. He goes down the line. Seven of these sons, none of them are the right one. And so then he looks to Jesse, he says, hey, is there, is there any more? Like, is this all the sons you have? We'll pick this up, 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. Notice he doesn't even call him David. He's talking about David, but he doesn't say, there remains David. He's just like, well, yeah, there's, there's the youngest. And look at what he says. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. Yeah, the, there's one more, but it's the youngest. And he's just, you know, he's just out there with the sheep. What you can see here is that Jesse doesn't hold his youngest son in real high regard here, does he? But, but what does the Bible say? God looks at the heart. So, 
So here's what Jesse or Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. If you have a physical Bible with you, highlight that, circle that, write that down in your notes. We will not sit down till he comes. We'll come back to that in a minute. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and, and, had, a, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. I, I got last night Brad and Kristen... Uh, Lewis, we got to go over to their house, bring them some food. They, have a, they had a new little baby, and he's got a head of red hair and blue eyes. And I wanted to say this over him, but I totally forgot. But I meant to like, be like, he's ruddy and handsome with beautiful eyes. You know, I don't know. <laughs> and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. So God tells him, this is the guy. This is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, in the midst of those who didn't think highly of him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So, so right, understand, in this moment, he has now been anointed to be the king. In the eyes of God, he's the king. He's carrying the king's anointing right now. So you would think that right after this, he would go assume the throne, right? Go sit on the throne and rule over Israel. But that's not what happens. Saul continues to, to be the king. But now here's the problem, because Saul no longer carries the anointing to be king, Saul starts to lose it, and, and, and the Bible says there's this tormenting spirit that begins to come against him, and he starts to go nuts, and as this starts to happen, the guys around him start trying to figure out, like, what can we do to soothe the savage beast, and they decide, well, maybe if we play some music, that, that'll help, and so they come up with this idea, when he starts to get, you know, in the, in the molly grubs kind of deal, we're going to have somebody come and start singing to him. It says this, verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. He's talking about David. He's talking about David. Now look at this. Who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son. Now look at this, who is with the sheep. Where was he before he was anointed? In the field. Well, I'm, I'm teaching you right now because you're gonna need to say that a lot. In the field. <laughs> say it with me, in the field. In the field. There you go. Where was he? In the field. Where was he after he got anointed? In the field. He's back in the field. He goes back. He's anointed, but he goes back. And what I want you to see is just because you're anointed to do something significant, something big, doesn't mean you're going to step right into it right away. Sometimes there's a season of waiting that God has us in, a season of training, a season of refining, where he takes us to a place and he allows us in this place of anonymity to work some stuff out, to work some stuff in so that someday we can step into the call of God. And when we step into it, we've got what we need to fulfill the call of God. But look at what it says. This is what's so cool. Behold, we've seen the son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing. In other words, he's a good musician, a good singer, a man of valor, a man of, of war. He's a fighter. He's prudent in speech. He knows when to talk and when to shut up. That's a good thing. And a man of good presence. In other words, he knows how to carry himself. And the Lord is with him. Now, here's what that tells me. Where was he? I'll try it again. Where was he? There you go. Okay. You, you'll get it eventually. You'll get it. You guys are smart. I know you'll get it. And, and, and these guys are saying all that about him. So, so where did they see him acting like this? Right? So what I'm trying to show you is he was faithful to the field. 
Yes, he's anointed to be king. He's anointed to something bigger, but he goes back to the field and he serves the field God has him in well. He worships in the field. He fights in that field. He's a warrior in that field. He's prudent in that field. All of those things, he's a man of valor. All of that is developed in the field to the point that people around him see him in the field and they go, that's, a, that's an impressive guy right there. He was faithful to the field. And I want you to know God's got a field for you and you're in the field. You're in it right now and you're gonna be in it most of your life. You're gonna be in it a lot. Even if you, you're in and you could say today, man, I'm really walking a lot of the goodness of God right now, you, you're still in a field. I'm pastoring right now, but I'm still in the field. I'm in the field. I, I haven't arrived yet and you're not gonna arrive either. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep fighting. We're gonna keep taking ground for the kingdom of God. And the field God has you in right now is a place of preparation. And he's preparing you for what he has for you. And it's a big deal. And it may not be a big deal to you, but I want you to know it's a big deal to God. And because it's a big deal to God, it needs to be a big deal to you. So let me help you see the significance of the field today. I got four points for you. Four things that God does in our life in the field that help us to step into the places God has for us. Number one, in the field, you learn to wait. In the field, you learn to wait. David was a man who did a lot of waiting. Read the Psalms sometime and you're going to see one of the themes of the Psalms is about waiting. In fact, you look at the life of David, one of the times he didn't wait was with a girl named Bathsheba and that didn't go so well, right? Waiting is a big deal. You're going to do a lot of waiting in your life. Time and time again, David had to wait. And, and in, a, in a world we live in today where everybody's in a hurry, you need to recognize that God's not in a hurry, God's about getting this done the right way. And he, sometimes he's protecting you from yourself, from the things you might do and the trouble you might find yourself in. So look at this with me, 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now in this story, uh, Saul is after David. So we're going to jump around with the story of David a little bit. But in this one, David has already killed Goliath at this point. And he's become a little bit more of a man of significance. And because of that, Saul is jealous. And Saul wants to kill him. And so Saul is chasing him down, trying to kill him. We'll pick up 1 Samuel chapter 24. We'll start in verse 2. Uh, it says, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel, 3,000 warriors, and went to seek David and his men at, on the rocks of the wild goats. Rocks of the wild goats. That sounds like a band name to me, right? Coming to Oklahoma City, rocks of the wild goats. Yeah! It's not a band, though. It's a place. David is there, and now Saul's there. Verse 3, so he came to the sheepfold by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Other translations say uh, he needed to relieve himself. And we know by the context of Scripture here, that it was taking him a while to relieve himself. So you, you know, put two and two together. Saul's going potty, okay? And, uh, and what he doesn't know, though, is that David is in the cave. He's in the cave with him. And all his men are in the cave. They're in the recess of the cave in the dark. They're there. It says this, David and his men were staying in the recess of the cave. Verse 4, then the men said to David, this is the day of which the Lord God said, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as seems good to you. In other words, those guys are going, hey, this is your chance. Like he's going, he's going potty. He's not paying attention. Like he's looking at his Instagram feed right now. He has no idea that you're here. You're good. Go get him right now. You can kill him. He's got a bunch of guys that listen, they're in a hurry. Let's get this done. 
Let's take care of this. Look what it says, though. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now look at verse 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut off Saul's robe. This guy's trying to kill him. He has 3,000 men chasing after David right now, trying to kill him. David is not living his best life right now, and this guy is the reason why. And he can kill him. He has the chance right now. Saul is not paying attention. Saul's mind is elsewhere. But he doesn't. He cuts off his robe. And then his heart is so sensitive that even that bothers him. Look what he says. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the world. David was in a cave full of a bunch of people in a hurry. But he wasn't in a hurry. See, I think David understood something that you need to understand this morning. God, yes, God has a plan for you, a purpose for you, a will for you. But God's will also has to line up with God's timing. And if the will of God and the timing of God are not together, then guess what? It ain't the will of God. God's will outside of his timing is no longer his will. How did David know this? Well, I, I think he learned it in 1 Samuel 16, where we read earlier. Remember that where, where, uh, where Samuel says, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. Remember that part? I told you to highlight that, circle that. So think about this with me. Here's David. David's out in the field tending the sheep. That's where he's at. And every night, in order for him to come into dinner, someone has to come relieve him. And I'm guessing, based on the context of even how his father speaks of him, that no one wants to have that job. It's probably a rotation between his brothers and some of the other servants of who is going to go out and actually relieve him. And I'm guessing when they come out, they're not very nice to him. David, go, go eat your dinner. I'll, I'll take over, but hurry up. Get back here as quick as possible. I don't want to stay out here with these stupid sheep any longer than I have to. That's what David deals with probably on a nightly basis. And so then he walks home and he walks into his house and everybody's already eaten. And there's probably just a plate of leftovers there that's cold for him to eat. So he eats his dinner quickly and then he goes back out to the field. This is his life. But on this night, a servant comes out and they say, David, they're waiting for you in the house. And he walks into the house, and when he walks into the house, his father, a prophet of God, and all of his brothers are standing at attention. Why? Because he is the guest of honor. And I think David learns in this moment, if I will wait patiently with God, he will make everyone wait patiently for me. I want you to know God has a plan for your life, a calling for your life. But if you'll wait with God and if you'll wait on God, everything will wait for you. Your, your calling does not have an expiration date on it. Like, you really need to believe that today. Because if you don't believe that, you'll get in a hurry. And you'll want to start trying to make stuff happen, force stuff to happen, instead of just waiting patiently for the Lord. Like, like the, the, the verse says, Psalm 40, that this church is built on. Waiting patiently for the Lord. And he'll make everything work together for your good. He'll, he'll work it all out for you if you'll wait for him. There's no expiration date on your calling. And the key to being content is really coming to believe that. When you're faithful to the place where God has you waiting, God will make everyone else wait until you're ready to step into the place he has waiting for you. So in the field, we learn how to wait. Here's number two. In the field, you learn how to fight. In the field, you learn how to fight. 
1 Samuel 17, if you want to flip over there, this is the story of David and Goliath. Let me catch you up on this story a little bit. The Philistines are wanting to fight the Israelites, and they both lined up in this valley, Israelites on one side, Philistines on the other. And this big warrior from Philistine comes out, the Philistine warrior comes out, 10 foot tall, named Goliath. And he begins to stand and mock the people of Israel and command them to send out a warrior for him to fight. And day after day, he comes out and he mocks them and he ridicules them and he makes fun of them and he calls for a warrior and they will not send one out. And this goes on for days. 40 days this is going on. And then David shows up one day and he shows up with a, with a plate of cheese and crackers that he's bringing to his brothers. He's been, he's been allowed to leave the sheep and to go deliver, make a, make a food delivery, Uber Eats to his brothers here. And so he shows up and, and he sees this scene. He comes on the scene and there's this, this giant and he's shouting at the children of Israel. And David's looking at this and he's going, dude, what, what is this? Why, why isn't anybody doing anything? And so he goes to, to the king. Look at this, verse 32, 1 Samuel 17. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, talking about Goliath, for your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine and fight with him, for you are a youth. You're just a little kid. And he is a man of war from his youth. But look at this. But David said to Saul, your servant, look at how he's addressing Saul, very understands authority. Your servant has, uh, used to keep his father's sheep. Where did he do that? There you go. You're getting it. There you go. And when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Hashtag like a boss, right? And just so you know, like that's not normal, right? You don't hear about that every day. So what, what I want you to see though is God worked with him. God was with him in this moment. He's seen, listen, he's seen God do something extravagant in his life before, hasn't he? He's seen that. Where did he see that? There you go. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, now check this out with me. Look at this. Your, 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 your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine. Here's what he's saying right there when he speaks to uncircumcised Philistine. He's saying, this guy doesn't have a covenant with God like I do. He's talking about this guy's position. I am a covenant son of God. He doesn't have the same covenant I have. And so he's speaking to rec letting people around him know, what, what are we putting up with this for? And look at what he goes on to say. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Well, how has he defied the armies? He's been mocking them and cursing them and making fun of them. And David, listen, he knows what the word of God says. Where do you think he learned what the word of God said? In the field, he learned in the field that Abraham, his, the father of the Hebrew people, received a promise from God that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who... What's Goliath been doing? He's been cursing them. So David comes up on this situation and he sees things through the eyes of faith. He sees a giant, yes, but what he sees that's even greater is the giant God behind him. He sees an uncircumcised Philistine, a person who doesn't have a covenant like he has, and he sees someone who's cursing the children of God and God already said, I'll curse those who curse you. So he's going, what's the problem? We got this. I will fight this guy. And where did he learn all these things? He learned them in the field. Here's what you need to understand today. Anonymity does not mean you've gone untested. It just means you may have gone unnoticed. 
Anonymity doesn't mean you haven't gotten tested. David's had some tests. He fought and killed a lion and a bear. That's kind of a big deal. He's gone through some stuff. Not everybody saw it, but he saw it, right? You know who else saw it? God saw it. So he knows it doesn't matter if all you guys are with me. All that matters is, is God with me? And God's with me. And if God's with me, who can be against me? And I think the Bible says that somewhere, right? You guys remember that? So that's true for you too, just so you know. If God is with you, who can stand against you? What's your giant? What's your giant? What's ready to fall? But maybe right now you're not ready to fight the giant. So there's a lion and there's a bear. And right now we're going to learn how to fight those. We're going to learn how to fight those. And then later on we'll be able to fight with faith the lion and the bear. See, too many people rush out to fight their Goliath before they ever kill the lion and the bear. Let me bring this into terms like today. It's a bad idea to shoot your first two free throws in game seven of the NBA finals down by one point. Sports is a great analogy for this because we see these athletes who, who stand on these incredible platforms and get cheered for and we say, man, that, would be, that sure would be fun. What we don't see is them in the batting cages with no one else around trying to hit that curve for hours and hours. We don't see them in the gym with no one else around shooting thousands of jump shots. We don't see that. What we see is the platform. But what got them to the platform was what they did in the gym. And so maybe God's got you in the gym right now, working on a lion and a bear, so you can learn how, what, what will rise up in you and fight. And I want you to understand today, you're in a fight. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, okay? What it says is you don't wrestle, a couple things that verse says, you don't wrestle against what you think you're wrestling against. Your, your fight's not against your spouse. Your fight's not against your kids. It's not against your boss. It's against the devil. It also says this, we wrestle, <laughs> which means you're gonna be in a fight. So you have a choice. You can either fight with God or you can lose. Those are your only two options. If you want to fight and win, you fight with God. Or you can choose not to fight, but you lose. If you choose not to fight, you lose. So there's only one choice available, really. Is we going to take up our, our sword of the Spirit? We're going to take up the armor of God and we're going to fight with the Lord and we're going to see the victory and the goodness of our God once more. Amen? In the field, you learn how to fight. Here's number three. In the field, you learn your strengths. Am I helping you this morning? Anonymity is the privacy God gives you to learn from your, from your mistakes while learning your strengths. I used to despise this because you look and you go like, man, I want that. I, there's, I have this desire for that. And that, that's a good thing. Some of these desires are good. But, but what I've come to learn is that there's some mistakes that we learn to deal with in smaller rooms. God may have you in a little bit of a smaller room right now. And in that smaller room, you can make some mistakes that if you made those mistakes in the bigger room, it would disqualify you from the bigger room. Like I, when I was 17 years old, I would have probably loved for somebody to go, hey, here's your church, New Song Church, there you go. But guess what? This church would be dead right now if I would have got it at 17 years old. I was in no way ready to pastor a church. And I wasn't ready at 25. And I wasn't ready at 30. And I wasn't ready at 32, 34. But about 35, I started getting ready. And God moved me into that new place. 
What's God working out in you? How's he preparing you? See, one of the things I learned is how to fight and, and what to fight with. See, I said in the field you learn your strengths. In the field you learn what to fight with and how you fight. So what happens in the story of David and Goliath is uh, Saul says, okay, you're going to go fight him. Here's how you do it. And he starts putting his armor on him. And David puts on this armor and he tra- it says he tries to take a couple steps and he says, I can't, I can't wear this. I have not tested these things. And so he knew these things wouldn't work. How did he know these things wouldn't work? Because he knew what would work. Where did he learn what would work? In the field. field. You guys are doing so good this morning. And so what do we see? David goes down to a stream and he picks up some rocks. But he doesn't just grab some rocks. The Bible says that he picks up five smooth stones. And there's a lot of things. If you want to study that, there's a lot of different you know, theories out there as to why there was five. And, but what I want to focus in on is the fact that they were smooth stones. In other words, David went to that water looking for a specific tool, a specific kind of rock. Why? Because there was a specific kind of rock that he knew he could sling because he had slung it before. You know where he slung it? In the field. See, I believe that as David sat in that field watching those sheep, worshiping the Lord by himself, pinning some of the greatest, most beautiful lyrics of the Bible. In between some of those journal entries, he was swinging a sling and setting up targets and knocking down targets. And he'd, he'd sling it and swing it and throw it, and he'd go, okay, that one, that didn't work, so let's try this rock. And he learned the specific tool, and he became skilled with that sling. See, I've heard people preach before, and when I say this, I'm not saying this is completely wrong, because I think there are moments that we, there's stuff like this that happens, but I've heard people say before, you just throw the rock, and you just trust God to take care of it, and it's kind of like, you just throw up a Hail Mary, you just shoot the full court shot, and you just hope that God makes it fall in. Well, I don't think that's what David was doing. I think when David stood before that giant, this was not a full court shot, this was a mid-range jumper. This is something he had hit thousands and thousands of times before in the gym. And he knew exactly what was going to happen. And one of the reasons I know this is because look what the Bible says. Psalm 78, verse 70. He also chose David, his servant. God talking about David. And took him from the sheepfolds, verse 71. From, the following, uh, from following the ewes that had young, he brought him. The shepherd, Jake, to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. In other words, he pulled him out of there to be the king. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. He was a skillful shepherd. And when he stood before Goliath that day, knowing that God was with him, was he walking in faith? Absolutely. But I also believe he knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew when he let that rock go, it was going to sink into the head of that giant. He was going to fall down and he was going to go cut his head off. And so because he believed it in faith, he saw it happen on the field. And it started in the field, and it was fulfilled in the battlefield. So what I want you to see is there's some stuff God's doing with you. There's some stuff he's training you to do right now. You're learning some strengths. You're learning how to fight. You're learning what to throw. You're learning how to walk by faith. I remember when me and Sarah, when we were were trying to have our first child, Gus, and we weren't getting pregnant, and we learned how to walk by faith. We learned what faith really was. And I remember later on when it was time for us to plant this church and leave behind Gateway and step out of that, we were able to do that with ease. Why? Because we had learned to walk by faith years before with the birth of our son. And we learned in that field how to throw the rock. And when it came time to defeat a giant for us, we were able to do it with confidence in the field 
you learn your strengths. Here's number four, in the field, you learn that you're known. See, in the, in the field of anonymity, we feel unseen and unnoticed, and sometimes you can feel alone. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you're not alone, that God sees you. God's never, he never leaves you. The Bible says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. He knows you, and he knows what he's doing with you. And I don't think I could say it any better than David does in Psalms 139. I encourage you to, to read this this week. I'm going to read this whole thing to you real quick. And I, as I read this, I just want you to realize that what David is saying is true. And it's not just true for David, it's true for you. Amen. This is what the Lord says about you today. It says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. That's such an interesting, he's before you and he's following you. He's, he's all around you. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my being and knit me together in my mother's, my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. <laughs> I love that. You're complex, right? But it's wonderful to God. He says, your workmanship is marvelous. I always read that verse thinking like, for some reason I hear Billy Crystal. Marvel, you look marvelous, right? Some of you older, I'm 40 now, so I can make these old jokes. You're supposed to laugh though. <laughs> How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. God sees you, and he knows you, and he loves you, and you're not alone. You're not alone. And years ago, when I found myself in a season where I felt a little alone and I felt a little unnoticed, God brought me to the story of a shepherd who became king and went back to the field. And what I learned about David was this. In the field, David really learned three things well. He learned to be a worshiper. If you're taking notes, he was a worshiper. He worshiped God well in that field. Number two, he was a watcher. He watched over the sheep and he watched over them well. And number four, he was, or number three, he was a warrior and he fought for those sheep. 
And so later you look at the life of David and one of the things you're going to discover about him is when he became a king and stepped onto the platform that God had for him, he excelled in three areas. He was a worshiper and he led the children of Israel in worship. He was a watcher and he watched over them well and stewarded them well and cared for them well. And he was a warrior. He fought for the children of Israel, the people of God, and is considered the greatest warrior in human history. And where did he learn those things? In the field. So if you find yourself in the field today, I got three points for you this morning of what you need to do. Number one, be a worshiper. Me and Sarah did not learn how to worship on the front row of the church that we pastor. We learned how to worship in a 1,200 square foot home when we felt alone, when I felt like I had messed up my calling, when I felt like I messed up my marriage, we learned to worship there. We learned to worship in a hospital room when we had to deliver a baby stillborn. And we didn't feel like it, but we lifted our hands and we worshiped God in the middle of the fight. And we learned how to worship and we learned the value of worship and how powerful it can be. And now, because we learned about it in the field, we fight for it for the platform. And we know what to believe for. We know the power of worship in this church and in this house. And God has been able to help us to steward a culture of worship in this church that I think rivals any church in America. And we learned that in the field. Number two, be a watcher. Watch over well whatever God has put in your hands. Maybe for you today, that's a two-year-old or a three-year-old, mama. And you feel like nobody sees you, but God sees you. And what you're doing in the life of that little one is, is very significant. Maybe it's working at a print house like I did for a while, doing little print assignments, little jobs that I wouldn't want to put in my portfolio, but they helped pay the bills during that time. Whatever your, your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart is what the Bible says. You do it as unto the Lord. I told the, the guys at the, at the tribe retreat this weekend, if you'll be faithful to steward small God opportunities, he'll be faithful to empower you to steward big God opportunities. So be faithful with wherever you have. Whatever your hand finds to do, we, even if it feels, feels small, David cared for those sheep well. What's he put in front of you? And then the last thing is this, uh, be a warrior. Be a fighter. Fight off lies. Fight off fear. Fight off discouragement. Fight for intimacy with God. You're gonna have to fight for that. Fight for your marriage. You're gonna have to fight for that. Fight for your children. You're gonna have to fight for them. And know that as you fight for them, you're not fighting alone. The giant killer is with you. Joshua 1.9, be bold and strong. Banish fear and doubt. Banish it. Get it out. How can you do that? Remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So I want you to know, a lot of times we want to jump into the calling, but you're in the calling. You're in it now. You really are. The work God's doing in you right now is the work he wants to do in you right now. Allow him to do the work. And as you do, and you steward well wherever he has you, you take these steps, they'll be ordered of the Lord, and you'll find before too long, you'll move out of that field and you'll move into the king.
the king's place. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? My encouragement to you is be faithful to the field. Be faithful to the field. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today in this message? Lord, we love you and we praise you. And I thank you, Lord, for this message, this word that I wasn't even supposed to preach this weekend. But I know it was for this time and it was for these people. And I pray, Lord, that you help this word, this message, find a place of rest in the hearts of people that in moments where they feel insignificant, unseen, unimportant, that they'll remember that you're with them. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn all the lessons that you have for us right now. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, I feel like we, we, we're gonna take a moment here today and we're just gonna allow ourselves to respond to the goodness of God. So I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna invite the altar ministry team to come down at this time. And if you're here today and you have a prayer need of any kind, maybe something's stirring in you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, and maybe, maybe you're here today and you feel the call of God on your life. Maybe you feel like God's calling you to ministry today. I don't know, that's, that's how it happened to me. It was just in a service. I wasn't expecting it and there it was. Maybe you feel the call of God on your life today to be in a role of like full-time ministry. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're older and you've kind of, at one point you were on a platform, but it seems like that's kind of shifted and now you're, you're kind of trying to figure out what is this now? Where am I? Am I no longer significant? Am I no longer important? I'm here to tell you, you are. And God has more platforms for you, more places for you to go. I just want to encourage you, wherever you are today, I believe God has something for you. And so here's how we're going to end this service. If you need prayer, feel free to come down. Our prayer altar ministers will be here to pray with you. But I I want to just take a moment, and I just want to worship God with you. I want to respond. I think you can sense sense the love of God in here today, can't you? You just sense the anointing and presence of God here. And, And I just want to respond to that. And just how we respond to that is by worshiping, because when... We sense the love of God. How we give love is we worship God. So if you would, would you stand with me this morning? We're just gonna take a moment here and we're just gonna, we're gonna worship God. And maybe you're worshiping God in the face of a giant right now. Maybe you're worshiping God in the face of some problems right now. But we believe that we will see the goodness of our Lord once more, amen? Amen, church? So if you would, would you just, if you're comfortable, extend your hands to heaven. Let's just worship. Lord, we worship you right now. And we thank you for what you're doing. We, maybe we don't understand it fully right now, Lord. But we know that you're good. And we know that you're doing stuff in us, in our hearts, in our minds. You're shaping us, equipping us, preparing us for what it is you have for us, Lord. And so we trust you. We say, God, that we trust you and we love you. And we know that our, hand, our life in your hands is in good hands. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.